are listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church. We are a community in Madison, Wisconsin, who gathers to worship, to learn, to serve, and to grow together in God's love. Please visit us online at www.covenantmadison.org, where you can find information about Covenant Ministries, as well as links to our online worship services and sermon podcasts. So let's answer the question right now. I'm guessing there's at least one person in the sanctuary who is thinking to themselves, what is the most important word in the Bible based on the sermon title? So I'm going to tell you, at least my opinion. There's no scientific study or no um, purely objective way of assessing this, but in my humble opinion, the most important word in the Bible is love. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, that word in Hebrew is the word hesed, which is often rendered H-E-S-E-D in English, and it's often translated as steadfast love. Steadfast love. It also is uh, rendered with sense of kindness and mercy and faithfulness. It appears 250 times or so in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, over and over again referring to God. God is a God of hesed, a God of steadfast love. You heard that word in our reading for today, our reading um, from the 34th chapter of Exodus, Um, just two verses there, but let's take a minute, do a little mini Bible study, and look at the context of that, because that's important. It's good to put these verses into a bigger and broader context. In the early chapters of Exodus, we learn that the Hebrew people are enslaved in Egypt, and they're having a hard time. They call out for rescuing. God calls to Moses and sends Moses to save the people. Moses resists. Several times Moses resists, but God persists with Moses, and finally Moses decides to take up this calling from God to lead the people. So Moses goes and he talks to Pharaoh, and they have a lot of back and forth, and I'm summarizing a lot of chapters here, but they have a lot of back and forth. There are 10 plagues that happen, right? And eventually, after Passover and after a journey through the sea that involves Pharaoh's army, Moses leads the people out of slavery towards freedom, towards the promised land. Once free, they begin this long journey towards this promised land, and God gives them words of guidance, teachings of guidance. After they've been rescued, after they've been set free, God gives them commandments, the most well-known of which are the Ten Commandments. This happens in Exodus chapter 20. And it's important to note here that the first commandment is, you will have no other gods before me. And the second commandment is, you will not make yourself an idol or a false god, right? So those commandments are meant to guide the people in their life together. Well, after Exodus 20, God and Moses continue talking. Sometimes Moses is away from the people. Again, I'm summarizing a bit here. You know, God and Moses having their little chit-chat, and the people get a little impatient. And all of a sudden, they say, we need to build something. So they build a golden calf and start bowing down and worshiping the golden calf. Now, what did I just say a few seconds ago about the first and second commandment? Don't build um, idols. Don't build false gods. Well, look what the people are doing. So Moses is not happy. 
God is really not happy, and they have some back and forth. Moses comes down from his conversation with God. He's got the stone tablets with the, the Ten Commandments, throws them down in disgust, and they're broken. God and Moses continue to dialogue. What are we going to do? Um, they're angry. They're frustrated. Well, long story short, Moses intercedes with God, and God is merciful and forgiving, giving Moses a second set of stone tablets, and Moses comes to the people and essentially says the words that you say, speaking for, for, for God, the Lord, your God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, abounding in hesed. Um, God is with you to not forget you or um, always, always to love you. Um, unfortunately, now just a little side note with the, the numbers in this passage, I'm sort of a math guy, so I notice these numbers. It, some people just kind of fixate on the thing about the sins of the father, so to speak, um, being visited on the third and fourth generation. And they don't see that God's love goes to the thousandth generation. Now, obviously, a thousand is a lot bigger than three or four. What I think this passage is trying to say is that God takes sin seriously, and sin has consequences, but the bottom line, the big picture, by a whole lot, like a thousand times more, is God's steadfast love, God's hesed, God's mercy, God's kindness, God's forgiveness. So they get a second chance. They get a fresh start, um, thanks to God's hesed. God's steadfast love endures forever. So we're focusing on hesed, on love today, as the concluding message in our four-week series on energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, these four gifts that God offers us to live a healthy and solid Christian life. We're framing this as building blocks, as a way of constructing a life, of being intentional, like a, like a, you know, a mason or someone doing construction, being very intentional about setting a solid foundation. And I think energy, intelligence, imagination, and love are good building blocks for a healthy life. And I'm grateful that God gives us these gifts. And actually, I'm grateful today that we, some of you are back in Bradfield Hall. You might have seen we had cookies back there that had the words energy, intelligence, imagination, and love on them. Thanks to Mandy um, uh, Bocanegra for those wonderful cookies. Um, so... Um, the inspiration for the series comes from a question that we ask when we ordain deacons and elders and pastors. Those of you who've been in Presbyterian circles for a long time might be familiar with this question, but we ask them, people who are set to be leaders in the church, will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? My contention is that, yes, these are for church leaders, but they're really for everybody, for everybody in order to live a faithful um, and flourishing Christian life. And just as these gifts are for everyone, God's hesed, God's steadfast love is for everyone. About 12 or 13 years ago, I came to find an uh, experience I had led me to new and deeper appreciation for this word hesed, this Hebrew word that means steadfast love. I was enrolled in a school program at Columbia Theological Seminary down in Decatur, Georgia, where Dr. Yu is coming from next week. And I was taking a seminar with about 10 other students on wisdom literature, on Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job. Our professor was a brilliant, is brilliant, he's still teaching at, at Columbia, um, brilliant, brilliant biblical scholar, well-versed in Hebrew, um, faithful Christian, 
really committed to environmental justice um, and creation theology. So wonderful human being, fascinating guy. Um, and he's teaching this class. We've got about 10 people in the class. One of my classmates is a wonderful person. And at the risk of sounding a little judgmental, you, you might look at this person and think he doesn't look like a pastor. Um, great big guy. He's got big ZZ top kind of beard, a lot of hair, wears a lot of black, and his arms and neck, just lots of tattoos, right? So, but I've stayed connected with him for all these years. Wonderful human being. He posts wonderful, faithful things on social media. Wonderful Christian. Looks can be deceiving, right? Well, one day before class, we're talking with him and asking him about his tattoos, and there's a lot of theological significance to the tattoos, and some of them are just for fun, but it was a fun conversation. And then someone asked our professor, I don't remember who asked, but someone said, uh, Professor, do you, do you have any tattoos? And knowing that you can't judge a book by it, cover, I, I, I thought I knew the answer to the question right away, because our professor almost always wore a coat and tie, very conservative dressed person, kind of simple, um, straightforward, traditional kind of person. Um, so when he was asked this question, I thought I knew the answer, and I was right. He said, he basically responded and said something like, no, I don't have any tattoos. Let, let's get back to the biblical text. So our conversations continued. Um, but then a day or two later, he came back to class and he gave that little sort of, you know, the professor kind of the, the chin rub kind of thing. And, and he's like, you know, I was thinking about that tattoo question. And if I was ever going to get a tattoo, which I'm not, but if I ever was, I think I'd get the word hesed as a tattoo with the Hebrew letters. And that story has always stayed with me and I always think of it when I think of that word hesed. And I thought about it in terms of the sermon, it might be a nice story to share. And then lo and behold... I find out that there's someone at Covenant Presbyterian Church in our community who actually has Hesed as a tattoo on their leg. I'm not going to say who, <laughs> but it might just be our new associate pastor. <laughs> she actually told me it was okay to share. She shared the picture with me, so it's, it's all good. Now, I do not plan to get a tattoo anytime soon, although I told the first service my wife's out of town this weekend, so, you know, <laughs> who knows? You know. But, what, but what I really like about this is the idea of, of hesed, like, sinking in, right? The ink kind of sinks into your body when you get a tattoo, I guess, right? And I love the idea... What a, what a gift it would be if God's hesed could really sink in and take root in us in some way. Now, you don't have to get a tattoo for that to, that to happen. It's, it's a nice reminder for it. Um, when God's love sinks in, you know, good things, good things happen. The little book of 1 John um, in the New Testament, great book to read. It's short, and really the theme is love. It's written in Greek, so it doesn't use the word hesed, but love is all over that book. And at one point, the author makes it really clear what I think the intention is for God's love, for, for hesed. That, and, and it says, Beloved, since God loves us so much with hesed, with steadfast love, since God loves us that much, we should be changed and we ought to love one another. So that love should come to us, should sink in, should change us, should redirect us and help us to love other people. Now, I think we all know 
that we're supposed to do that, right? Jesus' greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor. We're supposed to be kind and gracious with one another. And we aspire to do that. We aspire to be good and gracious and kind, but it's hard. There's a meme that's circulating around the interwebs. I've seen it in a few places and variations, but it says something like this. Me, be kind. You never know what someone else is going through, right? But then there's the second half of it. Also me. Nice turn signal, blankety blank face. <laughs> okay, little racy language, whatever. But the, the point being, I think this reflects the reality of our human nature, that we have good intentions, that we want to be kind, that we want to do that. But sometimes we just don't. And sometimes we act like jerks, even though we have these good intentions. And for me, when it happens to me, what I think has happened is that I forgot that I forgot that I'm a beloved child of God, that I forgot that I'm loved by God and called to love one another. So it's important for us, I think, to remember. Remember. And to do whatever we can to remember. So when we have baptisms here at Covenant Presbyterian Church, um, and in the baptism liturgy I learned as a young pup of a pastor and it stayed with me, I always close a baptism with these wonderful words from 1 John chapter 3 which says, beloved, see what love God the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. And at that moment, I think what's happening is that we're celebrating the the infant or the, the kid or the adult who's being baptized and saying, this is a beloved child of God, but also in the liturgy, we're celebrating that we're all beloved children of God. So that's a good and visible reminder for all of us. We've got a, a, a recently baptized member of our church back in the pews there. So at baptism, we celebrate this, and every Sunday, in one way or another, I try to help us all remember that we're beloved children of God, that this is the good news, that God loves us, that God has this love that stays with us now and forever. It's important for us to remind one another and encourage one another. Sometimes those reminders and that encouragement comes in surprising places, I want to tell you a little bit about a baseball player on the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, But before I get there, you know, let's remember Philadelphia, those of you who don't know, Philadelphia sports fans have a reputation of liking to boo their own players when they don't perform well. They can be very negative. So earlier this summer, when high-priced free agent Trey Turner was not playing well, the fans started to boo. They're like, hey, we're paying this guy all this money, and he's doing a lousy job, so boo, boo, boo. Well, there was one one series in particular. They were playing in Miami. He played really badly, um, didn't get any hits in several games, and he had an error that cost the team a game. So they were coming back to Philadelphia for a three-game series, and most people were expecting there's going to be a lot of boos and, um, you know, negativity for this baseball player. And remember, Philadelphia is the place where they booed Santa Claus, right? Anybody remember that story? There's actually a Wikipedia page about Philadelphia fans booing Santa Claus. Um, There it is. So um, Philadelphia's got this reputation. Though They're coming back to Philadelphia. But before the game started, the three-game series against Kansas City Royals, one of the fans, prominent fans on social media, suggested that instead of booing this guy, why don't we cheer for him? Why don't we cheer for him? 
So this $300 million free agent who's having a terrible year, had an error that cost the team a game, striking out left and right, gets up to bat in Philadelphia, and he gets a standing ovation from the crowd. Right? Standing ovation. Happened again, next at bat, next at bat, all through the series. They're cheering like crazy for this bum who is, you know, getting all this money and playing terrible. Well, it turns out in that series, let me get the stats right, he went four for 12 with two doubles, a home run, five RBI, and he's been playing a whole lot better since early August when this happened. If you don't know baseball, you know, that, those are good statistics. He's doing, he's doing well. And fans even started donating to Trey Turner's favorite charity, and Trey Turner responded to all of this enthusiasm by having billboards put up around Philadelphia saying, thank you, Phillies fans, Right? I'm not a Phillies fan, but I love that story. Positive reminders and encouragement to remember the goodness and the potential within all of us. And what I take away from that is I think God is cheering for us. God's cheering for us every day to do our sport well, to do our life well, to do our Christian walk well, to to be our very best, reminding us that we're beloved children of God, full of all kinds of potential. The good news of the gospel is exactly that, that we're beloved children of God. Last year, early in the year, some of you were here, a lot of you were here for our six-week series that we did on sex and sexuality, talking about a lot of um, challenging, controversial topics and recognizing the complexity of our bodies and our relationships and how we use those bodies and realizing that a lot of times we're fraught with hurt and pain that we do to ourselves and that we sometimes do to other people. Um, at the conclusion of that series, after the sixth and final sermon, I emphasized the same idea, that we are beloved children of God. And with the um, blessing of our friends from Illustrated Ministry, we got little stickers that have this image on them and handed them out to everybody. As a reminder, I, if I was thinking far enough ahead, I would have gotten more stickers for everybody today. Um, but the message is just as true today as it's ever been. We are beloved children of God. You are a beloved child of God. Life is hard. And there are things that wear us down. There are things that break us down. Sometimes we carry really heavy burdens and we forget. We forget about that love, but the reality is God's steadfast love is with us now and forever. Of all the building blocks, I think it's the most important, this tenacious love of God, this love that never lets us go. Romans says, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. In just a minute, we're going to sing one verse of a beautiful traditional song called, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go get the sense of God just grabbing onto us and not letting us go with that love. And I just want to tell you a little bit about the origin of that, um, that hymn. It was written in the 1900s by a Scottish pastor by the name of George Matheson. He wrote it in about 15 minutes, apparently. Um, he wrote it on the eve of his sister's wedding. And the wedding was sort of a triggering event for him because several years prior, he had been engaged to be married, um, but shortly before he was going to be married, he started to lose his eyesight, and his fiancée canceled the wedding, not wanting to be married to a blind person. So for years, this pastor continued as a pastor, even with uh, minimal eyesight, and he always carried that sort of sadness and that burden and that struggle. But he didn't let it 
overtake him, and he didn't wallow in self-pity for his life. He recognized that God has this hesed, this steadfast love that will never let us go. I hope you'll carry the the tune and the the message um, in your hearts this week. I want to close with a prayer, a prayer that has made the rounds on the internet and elsewhere for several years now, a prayer that reminds us that God loves us and that God calls us to um, love one another because of God's kindness and mercy, because of God's hesed, we're called to share that kindness and mercy with one another. Let us pray. Loving God, help us remember that the jerk who cut us off in traffic last night is a single mother who worked nine hours that day and was rushing home to cook dinner, help with homework, do the laundry, and spend a few precious moments with their children. Help us to remember that the pierced, tattooed, disinterested young man who can't make change correctly in the store is a worried 19-year-old college student balancing his apprehension over final exams with his fear of not getting student loans for next semester. Remind us, Lord, that the scary-looking bum begging for money in the same spot, the guy who really ought to get a job, is a slave to addictions that we can only imagine in our worst nightmares. Help us, Lord, to remember that the old couple walking annoyingly slow through the store aisles and blocking our shopping progress are savoring this moment, knowing that based on the biopsy report she got last week, this will be the last year they go shopping together. Heavenly Father, remind us each day that of all the gifts you give us, the greatest gift is love. It's not enough to share that love with those we hold dear, Open our hearts, not just to those who are close to us, but to all humanity. Let us be slow to judge and quick to forgive, show patience, empathy, and love. Amen.